Would you please join me by standing as we read from our passage today, found in the book of Matthew chapter 6. We are in the series, As in Heaven. Pray then this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. The word of God. Please be seated. I want to take a moment and, and thank our praise team this morning. Thank you, praise team. <laughs> as, I was, as I was praising along and I was staring at all these uh, wonderful singers, I just thought, man, I feel like every position at last year university was covered at some point by one of these individuals. I saw a registrar up here. <laughs> I saw it all. The education department was represented. Chris Mack had nine jobs. Everybody was, everybody was doing something across the university for many years, and it's so good that we all get to be a part of the same church family. Um, the only two, actually, who were not last Yearians, last year university alumni, were the two musicians on this side. They are, um, they, they are backsliders from Pacific Union College. <laughs> no one's perfect. And they hail originally from Oakwood University. And so it's, it's good for us to be a diverse community. Amen? Amen. I want to recap really quick where we are at as we are starting this series. We're only two weeks in. Last week, we talked about the preamble, right? No showing off. No faking it. We have to live prayerfully in our prayer closets. We must be able to witness and live in the world that we are in and then prayerfully call God again to guide us. No empty words. Beautiful words can be summed up over and over, crafted wonderfully. However, we must live instead fully beautiful lives. And then we kicked right into the Lord's Prayer. Our, first person plural possessive. This God, this intimate parent is ours collectively. It does not belong to one denomination or one group of people or one sacred community. The our there is collective. It's plural. It's possessive. God owns us and we in some shape, way, or form own God. We are a part of each other's family. The church can say amen. I shared Abba, and I opened up a letter from 1995 from my dad when I was away at PUC, wandering around, trying to figure out what to do with my life. And it was a difficult letter to get through. It was beautiful because it reminds me of just how loving my dad is. But I, let me show you a picture from last week, if possible, here. Is that picture up there? This is... This is me from last week reading the letter from my dad, just weeping away, weeping because it was beautiful. What I didn't tell all of you last week is that that, that cardigan I'm wearing is my mom's cardigan. <laughs> that's my mama's jacket I was wearing to preach in. That's my preaching jacket. That week, my daughter was heading out to school, and she saw my mom's cardigan sitting in my house, and I said, go get your jacket. And he says, no, Dad, today, today I'm going to wear Nana to school. Because Nana brings comfort and support and strength and warmth. And she just said, today I'm going to wear Nana. And so she wore Nana to, work on, uh, to school on Thursday. And so I said to myself on Sabbath, if she can wear Nana to school on Thursday, I can wear Nana to church on Sabbath. 
Because God, amen, amen. Because God, an intimate parent, is not just Abba, but is also Mater, our mother. There's an intimate bond. The beautiful dynamics of me reading my letter from my loving dad while wearing my prayer shawl of my protective and beautiful mom. <clears throat> this week, we deal with your kingdom come. Your kingdom of heaven come. This is an important theme for Jesus in the book of Matthew. Matthew really just presses on this kingdom of heaven idea. In, in, in Matthew alone, it's mentioned 29 times, the phrase kingdom of heaven. In fact, in the other gospels, you won't find kingdom of heaven. You'll find kingdom of God. But to Matthew, the kingdom of heaven is important. Matthew starts with the lineage of Jesus being connected to a kingdom, the Davidic kingdom. So we see that Jesus has already been set up to be a part of a line of kingdom lives. The kingdom of heaven is important to Matthew. This is why we see it in Jesus' prayer, where he says, your kingdom come. I think to help us understand this portion of the prayer, we must also consider what it meant to the Matthean community. What did it mean to them? Because once we get it in their context, we can then begin to digest it better for our own context. But if we don't see it in their context, oftentimes we miss out the depth and the beauty of what is being shared. The beginning of this year, I, I was with the, the spiritual life team as, as we kicked off the year at the university. And so I, I preached for the Mountain High, is that what they call it, or the Youth to Youth, or there's Ignite, I think it's called Ignite. And they had the spiritual leadership team there, the students, and you know, they were, we were connecting, and, and I would preach, and after I preached one time, I came off, I was sweating, I was tired, and one of the, one of the spiritual life leaders, this phenomenal, fantastic, dynamic human being, comes up to me and he says, yo, pastor, man, man, you are a different kind of pastor. And I was like, wait, what? He said, yeah, man, you are different. And he gave me some love, and he walked off, and I was like, what? What do you mean I'm different? Like, weird? Like, that, that's not good? And I started getting worried. I, was, I started getting offended. I was like, why would he call me weird? It took me back to fifth grade when I told a girl I liked her, and she said, you're different. And I was starting to get worked up. I was like, oh, no, no, he didn't. And the next time, I, he came up again. He's like, yo, Pastor, man, you're different. You're real different. I was like, ooh, am I really that different? Can't I be like everyone else? And I was starting to get, I was anxious. And I was like, what is going on? Am I not preaching the word right? Am I, what? And I'm sitting around. And the, the, the week that followed, I'm sitting around. And Pastor Ben was with me. And we were listening to the song. And he says, ooh, that song just hit differently. And I knew what he meant there. Because the jam was good. We were listening to some 90s R&B. I was trying to school him up. Because young bucks don't know what good music is today. Montel Jordan came on. This is how we do. And, and, and Ben's little head started bobbing. He's like, I know that song. And Steve was singing on the side. I was like, I never knew white men knew songs like that. And then I heard Ben say, yo, that hit different. And I knew what he meant because it was a good song. And I saw him bobbing. And then I thought to myself, whoa. Had I misunderstood this guy when he was telling me I was different? It moved me from the category of feeling weird to feeling special. 
all because of context. All because of context. So the Matthean community, if we, if we, if we, if we hit their, their, their context, maybe it'll open something up for us. Maybe we'll see something. I, I don't know. Let's, let's travel along and see what happens. First, we realize that the Matthean community is predominantly Jewish. Each gospel and their writers are speaking to a different audience, a different community. But, but for, this, for this group, they are predominantly Jewish. So when they hear kingdom of heaven, it elicits something different from what the other communities hear when they hear these kinds of phrases. Matthew's community hears the kingdom of heaven and it means something to them. So heaven, if you've taken time to read through the Old Testament, you'll realize heaven is not spelled out for the Hebrew text. It's broad, it's vague, it's silent, and one has to read heaven into the Hebrew text. As Christians, we believe in a heaven, so when we read the Old Testament, we think, oh, yeah, there's heaven right there. Oh, I see it right there. Oh, Enoch goes. He's obviously going to heaven. But if we read the story in Genesis, it does not say that Enoch went to heaven. It's quiet. Heaven is quiet. The Hebrew word for heaven is not a singular. It's a plural. It's heavens, shemayin, shemayin. It's never singular in the Old Testament because it's never a particular singular place. The heavens, right? When God created the heavens and the earth, it's all of it. It's the sky up. For the Hebrew people, when, when they think about the heavens, they don't just think of a, a, a little place somewhere off in the cosmos. They think of the sky and then what's beyond the sky. Those are the heavens. God's throne is in the heavens. He sits upon the heavens, and his footstool is the earth. Plural, broad, wide. Moses, when he died, died in that place, and we didn't get to hear a different narrative until Jude in the New Testament began to talk about the tussling over his body. Elijah was swept up into the heavens, into the sky, in other words. So heaven here is interesting for those who are listening in the Matthew community. Because heaven is ever-evolving for the Jewish people. It is this place. It is in the, in the sky, in the universe, in the cosmos. It's, it's above. And yet it's beginning to take shape. The people have lost and have been oppressed and have pushed, been pushed around. And so they begin to tussle with the idea of what heaven might look like. And that's tricky for them. So, so they land on uh, another Hebrew word called Gan Eden or Gan Eden. It's the Hebrew word for the Garden of Eden, which they now use in their eschatology for the afterlife. It's their, their place of heaven. So the heavens is an interesting thing for the peoples. But the kingdom is something very familiar to them. When we do kingdom talk, this is right up their 
alley because they know what it's like to have been oppressed by kingdoms. They've been oppressed by Egypt and, and Assyria and Babylon, Media, Persia, Syria. They've been uh, oppressed by Greece. And, and currently in that state, they were, under the, the, uh, they were under the oppression and the occupation of the Romans. So they've seen kingdoms rise and fall, and they are awaiting for the Messiah who will begin this kingdom on earth. They're looking for this this Messiah who will come and raise the kingdom here on earth. All the while, awaiting to see what other heaven might be still available to them. Talmudic tradition, there's a story of Rabbi, um, Rabbi Joshua Ben Levi. It's an interesting one. He tells this story um, about his son. His, uh, the, the father asked him, what did you see? Because Joshua ben Le- uh, Levi, uh, his son, died and apparently came back to life. And so he asked his son, what did you see? And he replied, his son replied, Joseph replied, I beheld a world the reverse of this one. Those who are on top here are below there. And vice versa. He then, Joshua ben Levi, said to him, My son, you have seen a corrected world. A corrected world. So the Garden of Eden is this place, this corrected place that they're trying to get back to, this ideal place, this heavenly kind of place. Why was the Garden of Eden so special to them? Well, in the Garden of Eden, God's governance was in place. And humanity dwelt with God. So this was the place where God and humans were together under God's care and watch and governance. And kingdoms for them meant governance. It meant business. It meant trade. It meant all the things that we do residentially and corporately. These are the kingdoms. And they've seen the kingdoms come, and they've seen the kingdoms go. So for the Jews, God's kingdom isn't just some place, right? We talked about the heavens. It's, it's somewhere out there. It's not particular for them. But what is particular is God's governance, that for them is what is imperative. So they don't think of a specific uh, a dot in the sky. What they think of specific initiatives that changes the world. This is what it means for God's kingdom to be among us. It isn't to run away to some place. It is to be in this place and do good things. Turn to the person next to you and say, do good things. Dallas Willard points out that the kingdom of God is the range of this of his effective will. That is, it is the domain where he prefers is actually what happens. The place where what God prefers is what happens. This is why the Garden of Eden was beautiful, because this is what God preferred, that we would walk with God, that we would care for the earth, that we would love on those things that, that were created around us, that we would have this bond. That is God's preference. That is what God's kingdom looks like. Now, I, I, I love that we think about heaven as, as that place we're going to go to and praise God for when that day comes. 
But if I'm thinking through the Matthean congregation in their eyes, they're not thinking about some place far off that's ethereal, that's got clouds, that's all white. Every one of us gets wings, which would be cool. We all get our own mansions. You get to make your mansion of gold. I'll make mine of mango. We get all mansions. <laughs> that's not what the Matthean community is thinking about. Although a mansion of mangoes would be tight. No seed. Eat all the way through. Praise the Lord. When they think kingdom of heaven, they think of what God's governance can do in this place. They think of a moving of God and God's initiatives and God's preferences to begin to take over the world. So secondly is that it's established here. God's kingdom was going to take over this place. The kingdom wasn't a picturesque place, so much so as it was a safe place. This is a place that the poor can call theirs. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is a place where the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. This is a place that is reverse of the place we live in now. This is a place that will be fair and equitable and inclusive. This is what the kingdom looks like when Jesus says, your kingdom come. It's a kingdom that is coming and has corrected the world. It's a reordering. And so we get to be a part of that reordering. So... Let's go back to Gan Eden. Gan Eden is, is the Garden of Eden. That's, that's, um, that is generally what uh, the Jewish community sees as the afterlife. This is where you go if you do things good. You get to go to this place. It's great. Because this place is where God and humanity were one. Where God's preference and governance was. And then there was a separation where humanity could no longer walk with God here on earth you and I know the story well. We've heard it. We've sung it in songs. It's been told over and over in children's stories. But, but we no longer get to partake in the Garden of Eden. It's no longer a part of us. We begin to roam the earth. We begin to toil the soil. We begin to have uh, labor pains. We're living as human beings on this clay circular world that's moving around the universe. But God still finds ways to touch down with us. What is the one place that God still touch down among the community. Do you all remember what it is? What one place does God come and reside in among the, the, the Jewish people? It was the tabernacle. Somebody said it. Somebody went to school. Praise the Lord. The tabernacle. So this is the place, right? No longer was there a, a, a great garden of Eden, but no matter where they went, God still touched down on earth. So God's kingdom still resided in some places here on earth. It was where God would be the center. Now you notice that when they move and they travel, the tabernacle was always in the center of the community because they wanted to remember that God's governance and his preference should still reign no matter where we go. And then the tabernacle turned into a temple, and there's only one temple for the Jewish people. That's where they go, because God touched down in that place. But then when Jesus was born, this is what the angel said in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, it says this. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which is God is 
with us. No longer tabernacle, no longer temple, but Jesus in his birth is the one who is encamped among us, is the God with us. And in that place where Jesus was, so does the kingdom. Kingdom of heaven is where Jesus is. Turn to somebody and say, the kingdom of heaven is where Jesus is. So when Jesus says, your kingdom come, and they recognize him as the Messiah, then they also recognize the work being done here is a, done, is a work that is done through the life and personhood of Jesus. That he will feed the hungry. That he will heal the lame. That he will care for the marginalized. That the bleeding woman will stop bleeding when she touches him. There is power and healing, reconciliation, and change in the presence of Jesus. And so, God, your kingdom come. And those who follow Jesus, we get to be the reflection of kingdom living here and now. It is the paradox of waiting for God's kingdom and living God's kingdom all at the same time. What would that sound like if we took the word kingdom out and put the word church? Your kingdom come. What if we took the word kingdom out and we put your church come? Your church. Because I feel like sometimes as churches, we have lost our way on what we should be focused on. We've traded out communal connections and connectivity with our individual preferences. We've traded out accountability and sticking through things for what feels good for this week. We've made church kind of a Airbnb. I like to come to this one, so I'm gonna come to this one, and I'm gonna check it out. But I don't want one where I've gotta clean up the mess afterwards. So I'm gonna just roll out. I'm gonna go to my next BR and Airbnb, and I'm gonna chill there for a little while, and it's good. But then when it starts getting messy, I'm gonna move on out. I'm gonna check out this, this church. Oh, this church one's good. Look, they got a brand new screen TV. Oh, somebody busted it. We roll it out. I wonder what happens when, when God's church, the church in heaven, lands here. What does it begin to look like? Is it really good praise worship? By the way, really good praise worship. Thank you. <laughs> or is it more? I'm at a loss sometimes because I think too many faith leaders have propped up a fake way of what church should look like, what this kingdom should look like. And they're more interested in the production of a church to bring more people in instead of the formation of a church to send people out. We can be better. We can be the kingdom. We don't need music. That wasn't always around. We don't need lights. That wasn't always available. I had an individual say to me, you know what? You, you should always leave these beautiful glass-stained windows open. And I agree, they're beautiful, but we didn't always have glass-stained windows. We don't need the thunderous roar of a glorious organ. What we need to have is the love of Jesus. 
I'm afraid too many of us on that judgment day when we cut to the pearly gates, we'll be dragging in our stuff. Like when you're dragging in your organ. Someone's gonna be dragging in their red books. Y'all know what red books I'm talking about. Some of us are gonna be dragging in our bass guitar, even though Chris, you are, I love you on the bass. It's my bromance, I love him. When the things we need to be dragging into the kingdom is other hands, together, committed to the mess, because that's what kingdom living does. So, while I love good music, I love great production, the kingdom of God is less production and more formation. It's about us sticking through the stuff and calling down his power to reign, to look for inclusivity, to care for justice, to speak up for equity. These are the consequences for caring about kingdom living. So, where have I seen it lately? Well, I, I, I see it every week on Tuesdays when my guy Joe shows up over here in the Herzogs and they're putting together boxes. They don't need to put together boxes, but they be putting together boxes because families come in on Wednesday and they pick up these boxes and then families have food to eat. I see it with Pastor Otis as he as he courageously leads out the wellness warehouse to make sure that people in the community have things, all of his volunteers, no, no one's getting paid for this, nobody's getting rich, none of y'all are getting rich. If I'm not getting rich, nobody else is getting rich. So I'm gonna stop joking about the rich thing, you know? <laughs> but you're not getting rich. It's a work. It's a clean of the mess. It's that I'm gonna I'm, I'm going to sit in this pew until I hear the calling of God, and then I'll be ready to stand up and lead. It happened again this Friday. I was down in the, I, I was here in the office praying because I was ending out my, my sermon. And then Lorianne, she says, hey, they're doing the, they're doing the uh, simulation downstairs, for, uh, the homeless simulation. I said, what? What's that? She says, yeah, they bring people together and they help them kind of understand how things happen and, 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 and you know, it's really educational and brings awareness. I, said, I went down there and there I beheld the church family. Let me tell you, church was happening down there. Reverend Marnie Strain, <laughs> Elder Bishop Daphne and Rob Thomas, they were leading the congregation. They were moving them through simulations of what it might feel like to, to be a family. And, and, and each person down there, they, when you come in, you can draw and you can figure out, okay, you're your daughter, your son, you're a baby. And, and you have to play that role for the rest of the day. And, and I didn't even know this, but I looked over the way and there Pastor Raywin was fully immersed in, the, in this simulation. And I said, that's my pastor doing good work. And as they're there, they begin to, to talk, and I just stand there for a while, and I, and I listen to the talking of the people. There was no music. There was no uh, uh, prayer. There was no performative piece. There was no preacher. It was just a, a collective group of human beings who were learning just how difficult it is for those without homes, those without resources, to find their way out. 
And they begin to share one after the other. They begin to talk about an experience they had. They begin to talk about the injustices that are happening around them. They begin to, 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 to break open their hearts. And as they're doing that, I see the kingdom of God becoming real and tangible. Now, there was a young lady there who shared her story. So I invited Sandra to come and share her story with us today, just a few minutes of what she had to go through. And if you would entertain me this opportunity, would you all give Sandra some last year University Church love? <laughs> would you share your story a little? Hello, so I'm Sandra Davis. I am a student of La Sierra in the social work department. Um, and so I did share my story about the struggles in the real life that I've gone through. And I was a manager at McDonald's and I was this professional and I was this boss lady. But when I went home, I was struggling to say the least. I was in a very horrible relationship. I had a one-year-old son. We mm. pushed our couches together because we didn't have a bed. Um, and I was struggling and I didn't see a way of leaving the situation um, without, I didn't know how to leave the situation. And it took me almost dying in front of my son for me to be like, okay, enough is enough. And I needed to start to ask for help and I didn't know where to ask for help. And so I did end up moving in with my half-sister who I didn't know, I just knew she was out there and she opened her home to me and my son and we, you know, we went through a process of living in our car and not knowing where to go before we got there and she just was like, you can do better. Mm. And I didn't believe it. I didn't see it. And I started receiving assistance from the county, got cash aid. I started to go to school, Myrna Valley College. And I saw this professional, Terry Hawthorne, who I thought was, oh, she's so successful. And she was like, yeah, when I go to counseling and talk to my therapist, and I was like, what? You do what? <laughs> and I realized that as much as people put on this facade of being this boss lady or being this person who has it all together, you don't know what they're going through and you don't know what's happening and, and they can be here in your eyes, but in reality, when they go home or on the inside, they're on the ground. And so that's kind of where my story took me and now I'm about to graduate in June and I'm excited, <laughs> thank you. And so, And so, yeah, I, um, I've struggled, and I guess I just wanted, I'm feeling the spirit to say, like, you know, you, this, you have an idea of what heaven should be or what a person should be, and in reality, it's going to be different for each one of us. Mm. So thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Oh. She shared all of her challenges and how financially was difficult. And if not learning or getting help to find the right directions, she landed here at Las Year University. Oh, that's big. And she's about to graduate. That's big. She's breaking generational chains. So for her child, he gets to see what the kingdom looks like. Thank mm -hmm. you. 
there's this huge hurrah because to them, whether they pay attention, whether they had faith or not, the kingdom came. And I think, wow, church, what if, what if we got better at formation so that our food pantries were full of volunteers? What if we weren't just in it for, for the heartthrob worship spaces we can be in, but for changing lives around us and being committed? What if? I'm thankful for this church body because you remind me weekly what the kingdom looks like. And I want to press you and say we can do even better. Turn to somebody and say, we can do better. Tell somebody, else, we can do better. This is it. This is where the kingdom comes.